You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm happy to be back. Good to see you guys. Welcome back, Victoria. Thank you. Well... I am a moderate science fiction and fantasy nerd, as you probably know. And as such, Noted, I yeah. probably I should have read. Yes. I probably should have read the much beloved Dune series by Frank Herbert, but I never nice. have. I never have. I did actually start Dune as a teenager, or maybe it was my early 20s, but you know, I made it about halfway through the book and I just could not finish it for some reason. Hmm. I think. Maybe I was bored by the politics or something, but <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's a fair bit of that. Yeah. yeah there's a lot yeah. of politics. Yeah. I do remember really enjoying the vivid uh, desert setting of the novel and mm-hmm. being really intrigued with the technology that the characters use to capture any possible available water in their environment. Uh, sil- sil- suits, still I believe. Suits, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Oh, okay. That's um, still as in distill. So uh, whenever characters are out in the desert, they wear these still suits. They cover you from head to toe and collect all the water that you exhale or excrete uh, nice. from your body and recycle it to be reused. So your Sorry, breath, Kirk. your sweat, your urine. Both and fascinating yes, and a little horrifying. Yeah. Yes, your feces I as mean, well. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, water like, is life. I get it. Your mm-hmm. Water is a really important resource, so. <laughs> so I was put in mind of these still suits recently when I saw this little news item about the red flower beetle, Ooh. whose Latin name is Tribolium castaneum. That was a pretty pretty easy okay. one as Latin names go, Tribolium castaneum. Um, so red flower beetles are an agricultural pest, as you might guess from their name. And they have an amazing ability to survive in very dry conditions. For example, mm. containers of harvested wheat. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Which is a Great. very dry environment, as it turns yeah. out. It has to be, otherwise, like mold and other things can get in there. Right, yeah. Exactly, yes. So it turns out that scientists have known for a while that one of the ways these beetles survive in arid environments has to be that they are doing something with their rectums. To conserve water. <laughs> Why? God, that was not a phrase nope. I was prepared for today. Okay. No, nope, I wasn't ready for that today. They're doing something with their rectums. They're yes. beetles. All right. They have a, We're going to talk about beetle okay. butts today. All right. Beetle, beetle butts. butts. All right. Beetle butts. Yes. Beetle butts for the win. Previous research has shown uh, that there was a gene called NHA1 uh, that was involved in water conservation and it was more active in the cells lining the rectum than anywhere else. <laughs> okay. You're going to say rectum a lot, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, yep. I sure am. So um, at first they thought that the beetles were just really extra good at extracting extra water from their poop, 
which, you know, they are, to be fair, okay. um, basically in insects. Insects have what's called renal tubules, which are kind of the equivalent of our kidneys. Okay. And um, once they've, you know, excreted the wastes into this tubule, they empty out into the rectum, which is where the extra water is reabsorbed back into the insect's body. Now, this is for all insects. Okay. And, you know, red flower beetles are very good at extracting water in that area. Um, and as you know, there are other animals that are really good at this kind of thing, too. Moving away from insects, like kangaroo rats are famous as a desert animal that actually don't need to drink water at all for some species of kangaroo rat because they're able to get by with only the water they use from metabolizing their food, which is dry seeds, because their right. kidneys are so good at um, reabsorbing water into the body. But nice. back to the flower beetles, yeah. Scientists knew that these, these beetles were doing something to conserve water with NH1, NHA1 gene. Um, but again, they weren't totally sure exactly what it was. So this gene controls a we're going to get a little technical here. It's a potassium oh right. hydrogen ion pump. Okay. So all, all the cells of your body or a beetle's body or any animal's body have ions that have different concentrations on the inside and the outside of them. And your, your cells have different proteins that can act as pumps to pump specific ions to where they need to go. They sure do. Yes, they do. Um, and... So this one pumps potassium. And what the, uh, the scientists hypothesized is that the beetles are able to actually <laughs> open their rectums to the air. And okay. so then <sighs> the, the potassium yeah. ions on the outside of the cells where they've uh -huh. been pumped attract the water because uh, water is going to follow the, the concentration of an ion. Y yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. And so when the potassium re-enters the cell, the water follows the potassium. And that is the way, if I'm, if I'm understanding so, this research correctly. Can I, okay. allow me to simplify yeah. this here and to see if I got this right. Uh, please do. You're telling me they are basically opening their butt and like distilling air. water out of the air? Is that what's exactly. going on? Exactly, yes. They are, they are tattooing moisture farmers with their butt. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's right. Simply stunning. <laughs> uh, you know, truly you not where like I this. thought this was going to go today. Well, I mean, I yeah, did sort I, of warn um, you with my intro about Dune. I guess, I guess I, yeah, I'm impressed but, that they don't lose water that way. That is... Uh, well, they do this yeah, when the... But, <clears throat> the, Dune, the Dune intro didn't really prepare me for, uh, you know... Beetles uh, distilling water a, through their butt. Yeah, anal water distillation, atmospheric water distillation. That's... Yeah. Woo! That, that believe, was not in Dune, from what I, I remember. I believe they preferentially open their rectums when the air humidity is high. <laughs> well, at least they already have hope. preferences. That's important. Oh, man. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Gotta respect their preferences. Um, but in this experiment, you know, um, these scientists were able to deactivate the gene in some of the insects. And these it's particular... Nice. In, no, it's really? not. They did not survive as well in dry conditions as the well, unmodified no. ones. Well, of so course they wouldn't survive some evidence well. that this is what's happening. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah that There's makes so sense. There's so many 
possible jokes going through my head right now. They're all just are they all getting stuck jokes? and not able to like you know yeah. Fascinating. Interestingly wow. though, it's yeah. It's actually been known for a while that mealworms can absorb water in the same way. Um, now oh, okay. maybe through the same hmm. mechanism. The mechanism was not previously known. And gotcha. mealworms are beetle larvae. Right. Um, oh, although, sure, yeah. you know, within the, within the beetle um, order, uh, Coleoptera, they're not particularly closely related to red flower beetles. Sure. But, you know, only the larval form of mealworms can do this trick, and the adults cannot. And so we are don't... Are we sure? Well, I think they've checked. Okay. They've I mean, known about I this could check. Since like the 60s. Someone, someone's got down there with a magnifying glass just watching the... Yeah. <laughs> See the if they raise their butts to the sky. Pretty Perfect. much. Um, yeah, so, so far this is the only beetle that... Adult beetle that is known to do this, but... We don't know if it's something that is, in fact, more widespread in the beetle group or not. Fascinating. Um, so, you that know, so more wild. research to be done. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Everybody well, get out there and start looking at beetles, I guess. My main source right. this week right. was from Science News, and the original paper was from Muhammad Nassim and his colleagues in our favorite journal, PNAS, from March 2023. <laughs> Indeed. That is our favorite journal. It's a good journal. <laughs> we are gonna take oh boy yeah a short break <laughs> and we're gonna come back and kirk will have something entirely different for us strange by nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the society of strange our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strange by nature society of strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content so a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible if you haven't joined yet we'll see you soon over at the society of strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon All right, so welcome back, everyone. This week, my topic comes to us from friend of the show, Mr. Brett W. Sieber himself. Oh, my uh, He sent goodness. me a link. And no, it's, it's not. It's not that wild. Don't worry. Uh, does it involve he, he jacketing said, a dolphin? Oh, it does no. not. No, it does not involve jacketing a dolphin <laughs> or uh, absorbing moisture through your, your, your butt or anything like that. To so this link he sent me, uh, he said it seemed right up my alley. And I'll admit... Uh, when I first sent it, I kind of dismissed it because I, I, I didn't think there was enough sort of to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I took a deeper dive, I found something that just irritated me. And I'm <laughs> like, well, that, there you go. Now I got to talk about this. Oh, good. Uh, you know what really grinds my gears? No, we'll get to False it. False information? Uh, so here's the thing. No, I just, I'm just going to lay it out. There are some people out there who apparently think that our sun is the color green. What? What? Yeah, there I said it. There are people who think the sun is green. No. That's the fact that put me over the edge. So let's let's sort this out, all right? Rachel and Victoria, help me out. What color is the sun? Yellow. Yellow. Is it? Whitish yellow. Okay, maybe is it like... <laughs> so think, I'm glad you said that, because like, if you ask a kid to draw the sun, at least here in the U.S., 
where we, um, you know, we have, you know, we give kids like crayons, right? Right. And they'll reach for that yellow crayon and they'll draw a big old yellow circle on the page and there's the sun. Right. And I, I think because the fact that, because people tend to draw it that way as a kid, it probably influences our thinking about what color the sun is. If you go outside right now, if it's daytime and look at the sun, unless it's, you know, sunset, uh, you'll see that it isn't yellow. Yeah, the sun like is a, white. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I guess it's it's, it's, it's classified as a a yellow dwarf, right? So, isn't it in terms of star? Oh, star I, it's been a while. I'd have to see where it falls on the. Uh, oh, what's the, what's the name of the? Testing my own nerd dumb here. I'm googling here. it right now. <laughs> there is a there's a there's a ma- like a sequence of stars and it yeah, has yeah. a name. And it's driving me crazy. The sun that I can't is a G type main sequence star, G2V, informally yeah, called a yellow or... dwarf. Although its light yellow is actually dwarf, white. Right. Ah, okay. there you go. Yeah. So, but not uh, green. You know, I th- yeah, it's still right, not, not green. green. I think, you know, you could give like white crayons to a kid, but kids are usually coloring on white paper. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, if you, you try to do that white paper, you just have like a waxy smear. There's the sun. It would look like you didn't draw anything at all. So right. we do sometimes see the sun is yellow, uh, like for during sunsets, for example, mm-hmm. uh, because that's one of the few times you can look at it when it doesn't melt your eyeballs out. Uh, don't stare at the sun, by the way. Not yeah, don't, don't do that. But when it's filtered right at the, the horizon, you can you, you can glance at it, you know, and it often does look yellow. Right. So I think that's maybe when we see it the most and also when we, you know, when we were kids, we drew it that way. So we have yellow kind of uh, stuck in our head. Um, as a side note, when you're in space, the sun always looks white because hmm. there is no atmosphere to look through. Makes sense. And uh, now that I think about it, uh, that, you know, I was trying to think like you would never be looking through the atmosphere if you're in space. You maybe could still see a colored sun very briefly as it rises behind the edge of the earth from space. Yeah. And I wonder if you'd see some some color involved, but it's a it's a very quick uh, because you're not looking through like lots of atmosphere. It's it's a, the it's very quick <laughs> when, yeah. it, when it occurs. Um, but yeah. I, I wonder if there's some color when it comes to that, that little bit of atmosphere. So I have to admit, I, I kind of thought this was pretty common knowledge that the sun is white and not yellow. Um, but, you Definitely know, like, as you guys green. showed, like a lot of our a lot of our instinct is to say, oh, the sun is yellow. There's apparently people online who are convinced that um the sun isn't white or at least wasn't white and this is some kind of big conspiracy theory that uh-huh. like the color of the ch- sun changed when i was a kid it was always yellow and, you, and they're like now it's white what happened and it's like oh no that's just that's not how it works you guys no. uh the sun has always been white we just have used yellow crayons to draw it so you know if any of you happen to be listening and going no i swear it was I swear it was yellow. The sun is yellow. I remember it being yellow. This is uh, like, you know, some, a mandala effect. The, you know, the mm, earth has mm-hmm. changed on us or something. Here, here's the thing to think about. If you shine a yellow light on a white piece of paper, the paper will look yellow. So if our sun really was yellow, then everything on earth would be bathed in yellow light. We literally would not have white paper or white shirts or white painted <laughs> houses. Right. Because anything you looked at outside that was white would appear yellow. So right. Just please al- stop. Also when we're learning about the sun is white. You know, light theory and the spectrum and everything. We yeah. talk about 
the sunlight being white and then the white light is split mm-hmm. in, by a prism or whatever into mm-hmm. exactly rainbow. Yeah, exactly so i i do find this whole to not get off the we're going to get to that but like i want to i want to get understand this crayon thing for a second one thing i found out that's really interesting is apparently how we think about um color choices children probably affects how we think about the color of the sun as an adult apparently in japan kids often color the sun as red uh-huh. on art projects Okay. Uh, and it makes just as much sense as yellow. The sun often looks red at sunrise and sunset. And in case it's, people are not aware, the, the the red dot on a Japanese flag is, is the sun, r- right? represents the sun. Land of the rising um, sun, so Japan, right? Yeah. So there's, there, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the the old flag, uh, like uh, pre, with World War II flag was like the it's red flag, I think, uh, yeah. sun with, with, the, with the lines on it, you know, which was mm-hmm. the rising sun. But I think now it's supposed to be like the sun has is risen like the the lines aren't down there anymore but this is not a podcast about flags so um (laughs) just to point out that i think there is sort of like a a clear cultural bias at work when we think about what color the sun is so now that's all well and good but it's just background noise to the point that got me hooked on this topic like i said there are people out there on the internet mostly um who are claiming that the sun is actually technically green now look I'm a huge, huge <sighs> nerd. I love technicalities. Yep. I'm a fan of the show. Um, actually, you know, shout out oh, to Mike Trapp. But such look, a great show. You're taking th- it's amazing. You're taking things too far. Okay. Yeah. That, and let me that's, explain. Oh, why? The sun looks white to us because white is the color we see when our eyes are exposed to all the frequencies of light at once, and white is to light what like muddy brown is to paint. When you mix everything together with light, you get white. Okay. And actually, going back to my discussion on how we see the color purple a few episodes back, oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't really even need all, all the colors to make white. If you mix red, green, and blue light together, you see white. That's literally how your TV or computer or phone screen makes white light is just by combining those three colors. Yeah. Uh, but when we look at the full color spectrum of light coming from the sun, what we see is that it emits light across the full spectrum of visible light, thus... It is white. The light that we get from it is is white. Right. So here's the issue, though. The light is not emitted evenly. The sun is brighter at certain frequencies, and the sun is bright. The brightest light from the sun is emitted at 500 nanometers, which I know no one listening knows that, what well, that means. Well, that's um, right in the middle. That's green, right? Well, yeah. I mean, people argue 500 nanometers is the brightest color, and we should actually say the sun is green. Okay. There's an article on the NASA website (sighs) that essentially makes this argument. And here's Uh, my issue with that, you guys. First off, 500 nanometers isn't even green. It's cyan, which is more blue than green. Okay. So as a lover of technicalities, it makes me kind of irrationally angry that someone would even call that color green, but whatever. That's a minor (laughs) annoyance. Um. Full credit to the author of the NASA article, actually, Lou Mayo. Uh, they do point out that it is blue-green. Uh, but there's people on the internet who have taken this idea and run with it and just keep saying that it's green. And I just want to say, please stop. The sun is not green. Um, I actually did find <laughs> another NASA article online where the author, whose name I won't share to avoid embarrassing them, insists that the brightest light from the sun is actually yellow and that's why it looks yellow to us. And it's like, oh, no, um, no, that that's not right. Just look at the sky. Uh, it isn't yellow. And someone at NASA, this author, did not do their homework and just sort of assumed they knew something was true because they learned it in kindergarten. 
And look, it can happen to the best of us. Even science writers at NASA make assumptions and mistakes. It's okay. Um, but, you know, the, just because there is a lot of green light, that that's the strongest light, doesn't negate the fact that the rest of the spectrum exists. And we are also seeing it. Um, yes, uh, cyan is the frequency of the greatest intensity of light that comes from the sun. But to call the sun cyan because that's the brightest color ignores the fact that there are, in fact, other colors of light coming from the sun. And they are, oh, yes, mm. insanely bright as well. <laughs> and when they, when, so it's like, yeah, the brightest is in that, that cyan, but everything else is like crazy, super bright. It's not like the other colors are really dim and it's like overpowered by the cyan. Mm -hmm. When you mix all the colors together, uh, which they do, the resulting color, uh, which very intensely has all the colors of the spectrum represented, is white. Unequivocally, unequivocally white. white. Yes, the oh. sun is white. Goodness. So, if you see like a website or something, they're trying to convince you that the sun is actually green. No, it's not. It's not. The sun <laughs> gives off a ton of green light, but also a ton of red light, a ton of blue light. Like it's really, really bright, <laughs> right? It's like In it's the entire fire. spectrum. And a yeah. star or I mean, something. It's, it's, a, it's a plasma of superheated gas. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's real hot. It's real hot. Um, and this, the photosphere, uh, the, uh, which is the, the outer part where the light comes from, uh, yeah, it gives off all, all the colors. The sun's white. And beyond. That's all I wanted to talk about. The full about. spectrum beyond the visible spectrum as well. And beyond, oh, yeah. yeah, beyond what we can see as well. Yeah, but uh, for our purposes, um, come on, it's white. Yeah. I love technicalities. And yeah, technically cyan's the brightest color, but it's white. That's it. I just wanted to tell you what really grinds my gears. Uh, when people try to say the sun is green, no, it's not. Please stop. The sun isn't green. No. Oh. It's not. Thanks, Kirk. That's all I've got. I just, I just wanted to rant about the sun not being green. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. And then Rachel hopefully won't be ranting about the color of the sun on her segment. I'm not. And we'll see you guys in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Uh, well, after hearing that special rant oh, about the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got going. You got me going. It, yeah. Thanks, fair. Brett. Uh, thanks, Brett. Uh, I'm actually going to be taking us also to Japan. Um, oh, cool. Not only what Japan, but some other. We're going to the ocean. Okay. Uh, big uh, surprise. Shocker. <laughs> I am guess? shocked, Rachel. Properly shocked that you would do a story involving the ocean. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But what we've what has been found somewhat recently, super cool. So the ocean is full of obviously a wide variety of strange nature and strange critters and creatures and that's, that's why Never we love ending. it so much, yeah. Oh, that's why we love it. You've told us about several of them, in fact. Oh, mm -hmm. I know. It's the best. Uh, but what I wanted to talk about today, uh, which we've talked about periodically on this show with uh, different relationships between animals. We've talked mm -hmm. about symbiotic relationships before, but I wanted to bring to oh, light yeah. a pretty cool one that has been studied more and more in recent years. What do y'all know about hermit crabs? Hermit crabs? Hermit crabs. Oh, well, they're cute. Um, People keep them as pets hmm. sometimes. Yeah. They, uh, they I, borrow I, is, other uh, creatures' is, shells. 
Is Mr. Krabs a hermit crab? He is a regular crab, I believe. What kind of crab is Mr. Krabs? Because he doesn't Just change a regular his shell. crab. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. That's a that that's a total uh <laughs> total aside there. Um hermit crabs, yeah. People have them as pets, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, they change their uh you can get different like, shells for them and they'll swap them out and Right. So when again, they outgrow them, yeah. So a key thing they, about hermit crabs is having those shells changing as they grow, they exchange shells. Yes. I believe yes. uh David Attenborough in one of his na- many nature documentaries was able to show like there was a whole sequence of hermit crabs. Like someone got a big shell and they all, yeah, they, a bunch they of them lined up yep. and they all like changed into the new shells or whatever as they crawled Everybody in. Everybody swaps one up Musical in order. shells. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. There's another type of hermit crab. Generally speaking, it's, Blanket hermit crabs, I believe they're called, but they have a symbiotic relationship okay. with about five different sea anemones. Okay. Do, 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 do. Manomena. <laughs> so they have a symbiotic relationship. Some hermit crab species have a symbiotic relationship with sea anemones. These are deep sea sea anemones. And the relationship is really fascinating. So these hermit crabs use uh, deep sea anemones in a sort of symbiotic relationship. Uh, There's actually a new species that was described in 2022 named uh, Stylobates calcifer. Yes, you heard that correctly. (laughs) Calcifer? As in Howl's Moving Castle calcifer. I was going to say Fire Demon from Howl's Moving Castle. Yes. Love calcifer. Oh, so good. Um, in fact, the you haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle, then you're missing Howl's out. Moving Castle when they were talking about it. So this that is splendid. Oh, so fun. So this species of sea anemone, one of about five or so species of sea anemone that have been known to be in these symbiotic relationships with hermit crabs, they get attached to the hermit crab, finds the sea anemone, will attach it to its shell. And then carry around the sea anemone as it crawls around on the floor looking for food and things like that. Now, the sea anemone... That's pretty good protection. ...gets uh, fresh food and feeding grounds from being carried around the back of this hermit crab. And the hermit crab gets protection from potential predators. What's fascinating... this reminds me a little bit of the story... The story about the boxer crabs do a similar thing where they just hold on to them like boxing gloves. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Similarly to the boxer so this is, club. This is easier. You just put it on your back. Exactly. But what's fascinating is they've, scientists have actually seen um, these hermit crabs change over. When they change over their shells, they will pry the sea anemone off of their old shell and bring it with them what? to the new shell. Oh, they're Aww. bringing their buddy with them. They're bringing their buddy. Which or is, is it more like bringing your houseplant with you? I'm not sure. Or bringing your guard dog with you. Well, the your buddy. Uh, researchers, uh, the researchers at the University of Tokyo uh, 
what they said, they compared it, at least this particular species of sea anemone, they compared it to the fire demon Calcifer who lives in the castle for Howl's Moving Castle. Nice. Being, you have to move and help build the home. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Of the place that you were living. Calcifer has to go with, for sure. Exactly. In order for it to be a home. It It all falls apart without Calcifer. Exactly. Now, this isn't is unheard awesome. of, but it's just so fun to have like these two creatures. This is not a like, super well-known relationship, and we just found a whole new species of sea anemone that does this. A lot, a lot of the time, the the shells um, and the sea anemone will actually secrete a hard covering to help the shell itself to keep it like nice and um nice and hard as they are going around but it's just so fun to have uh, two little buddies hanging out and i just <laughs> i just saw about this and i saw uh stylobites calcifer and i i couldn't not share about this particular <laughs> that's great little friend Amazing. so not also, super you strange, should read the book fun. of you should read the book of Hell's Moving Castle too. It's really good. Ooh, I I will put it on my list. We have Calcifer literally up on the wall in our house. <laughs> oh, it's so. deserved. He he needs to be there. Yeah. So anyway, that's what I have for you all today. Uh, a fun little sea anemone living on the back of a hermit crab, and they just help each other out. Kind of wholesome. That's awesome. Thanks for that's sharing. So that. sweet. Makes and- me. Also. Happy about things going on in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sometimes that was very cleansing nice. after Victoria's story. <laughs> I figured as well. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, everyone. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. Until then. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.